Well, brethren, first of all, as I always say, and it sounds so repetitive, but it, it's always a joy to be here. I can't remember how long it's been since I first came here, but I, I don't remember Peter having any hair when I first came here. So <laughs> it, it was... It was but um, I've, I've gone from ginger to white, so that shows we, we, we're getting older. But it's a great, great privilege to be here and to be amongst good, faithful Christian friends who I esteem and hold very high in, in the work of the kingdom. Great joy to be here. The text before us this morning is a chapter we've read there. It's very... It, it's a... It's a seems to be a, a chapter of opposites. We're perplexed, yet rejoicing. We're cast down, yet we're victorious. We're alone, yet we're not alone. We're perplexed, but we're overcoming. And the Christian life is, is rather like that, isn't it? No two days are the same, are they? Isn't it amazing? You can go to bed, having had your devotions in the evening, and feel a wonderful sense of uh, the presence of God a and you think marvellous your prayers have been more fluid than perhaps normal and you've gone to sleep thinking that in the morning you'll wake up in exactly the same frame of mind and heart as when you closed your eyes and the exact opposite happens you wake up and you're perplexed perhaps the devil is, is perplexing you with, with satanic thoughts and no two days are the same for the Christian life it's overcoming the trial of faith there's no easy path to heaven we must through much tribulation enter heaven and let us have done with this lie of the devil today which seems to infer that Christian people God wants to be simply happy and bouncy and frivolous and enjoying life to the full when the Bible tells me from both what it says and from experience that the Christian life is one of challenges, daily overcoming. And so that's the introduction. It is the epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, a church with troubles. And you see here in this chapter that Paul is exhorting these people to stand. He tells them at the end of the chapter, don't be married to unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't contemplate marriage to an unbeliever. That's quite different if you're married and then converted, but don't, as a Christian, contemplate marriage to an unbeliever. Be ye not unequally yoked. For what communion hath a child of light with a child of darkness. Now that is very simple. But I can tell you, I can tell you, I've had young folk, godly people, young Christian people, perplexed that they haven't got a partner and they've been tempted to, to perhaps uh, have an unbelieving partner. Oh, don't. Today's watchword amongst Christians, uh, many Christians, is be more flexible. Make the gospel more acceptable. And my text this morning is verse 17, where Paul says exactly the opposite. He says, here, you Christians, 
This is what you ought to be doing. Wherefore, in the light of what I've said before, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. So what's he saying? He says the Christian life is one of separation. Men don't like to be separated. Men don't like to stand alone. If you're a Christian in business, it can be very difficult to be a Christian neighbour, to be a Christian in a non-Christian family. It can be very difficult. But as I understand the word of God, it's this. The Christian life is one of separation. Today's byword is not separation. It's inclusivity. It's gathering in. Don't be too narrow. Don't be too rigid. Don't be too bold. And we're being asked questions like this. Is it all right for a Christian to do this or to do this or this? This is what's happening in young people today. And why is the church seemingly in many parts so weak? Because the world has not been shunned. And because men and women don't like to be separated. Young people in particular, go anywhere, do anything, keep company with anyone, it's all right. God understands. People do not like separation and they don't like conversation about separation. A man once said this, I think it's absolutely true, he said, you are not far wrong when men call you narrow. The world wants to be broad-minded, doesn't it? My friend, the Christian life is a narrow path. It is one of discipline. It is one of separation, and there's no way around that. And so I'd like to deal with this text in four ways. I'll give you four headings. The scripture both warns and exhorts, come out from among them and be ye separate. Well then, the first heading I would give is this. The world is a source of great danger to the soul of the Christian. And I'll explain what the world in this context means. And then, what is not meant by separation? There are some people in some churches who hold that certain things are what they term being separate. Uh, and we shall examine what these things are and are not. And then, what is real separation? What is meant by biblical separation from the world? And then the last heading will be this, most importantly. What is the secret? How might you and I as Christians be separate and obey this injunction to be separate from the world? Well then, the world is a source of great danger to the soul. Here the world does not mean creation. God has made all things good to, to be enjoyed, creation, nature, and all the other things that God has so wonderfully made for our blessing and benefit. God's creation was perfect. The earth, the universe, creation, creatures, the heavens, these are not harmful to the soul. The sun, moon, stars, hills, skies, animals, etc. were made by God for man's pleasure and use. 
He said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, they were very good. So the world here is not God's creation. The world here, in the context of Paul here, means the things of the world which people desire and love and hanker after in order to forget God. Their ways, the habits of the world, the tastes of the world, the customs of the world, the opinions of the world, the aims, the desires of the world, these are the things that if taken to extreme will harm the Christian. And these are the things which the Christian has to be balanced as, as he walks through this earthly pilgrimage. It is from these things, the taste, the opinions, the lust of the world, that Paul is exhorting Christians to be free or to keep themselves unspotted. We speak of the flesh, the devil and the world. And here, in this context, these things are the terrible enemies of the Christian and need to be resisted. Hear what Paul further says. Romans 12 verse 2. Be not conformed to the world. Galatians 1 verse 4. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Ephesians 2 2. In time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. The lust, the taste, uh, the, the, the temptations and so on. Timothy 4 verse 10. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. You know, I've oftentimes been asked by young Christians, um, is it right for me to go there? Or for me to do this. Uh, and what they're saying, they don't realise it of course, is that they are tempted to do those things. They're uneasy with actually doing them, but there's an attraction with them. And I say this sadly. How many times have I seen professing young Christians who have seemed to have a good start and have been gradually by and by ensnared by the tastes, the lusts, and the joys and the opinions and the temptations of the world. Hear what John says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, now listen to this, the love of the Father is not in him. That's strict, isn't it? For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world. Here's a test. Your conversation, how you conduct yourself, how you speak, what things you speak most of. Are they the things above? Are they things of Christian fellowship and edification and exhortation? Or are they worldly? I've been here, I'm going there, I'm going to do this, I can't wait to go there. Test yourself. 
The world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world. 1 John 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. So let me ask you, brethren, as I must ask myself, am I, are you overcoming the world? Or do you find the world a more attractive place? Somehow the things you once forsook because you were a Christian have suddenly become more attractive. You are tempted to take things up again that you once put aside. And then listen, most important of all, what the Lord Jesus Christ says. Matthew 3, 13, verse 22. The cares of the world choke the word. John 8, 23. Ye are of the world. I am not of this world. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. John 16, 33. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you see there from Peter, Paul, uh, and uh, rather John and, uh, and Paul uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ, these simple texts that indicate very clearly that the world, as I've explained, the lust and the temptation, is of great danger to the soul. Be not overcome. And there's the great danger. There are people who've had a very good start who seem to be the real thing, have gone on. And some people have been a real challenge to me. And I've, been, I've stood back and been embarrassed by how zealous they have been for the things of God. They're now back in the world. You see then, the world is the enemy of the Christian soul. Love not the world. What harms the Christian most? Is it not the love of the world? The tastes, the passions, the lust of the world, the cares of the world, the business of the world, the pleasures of the world. Now, God has given us all things richly to enjoy, and we're not to be killjoys in that sense, but we have to be very careful that we're not ensnared or overcome by the world. This is not simply something we can take up and put down. This is critical. Many people in the church believe these truths and yet, sadly, see their lives. You know, the acid test of a Christian, or one of the acid tests, is secret devotion, private devotion, meditation upon the word of God. Secret prayer. No one sees that, but God does. I hear increasingly of people saying this, I have said my prayers. I have said my prayers. We are told to pray, to be persistent. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. See how many young people are keen and eager at first and then by and by you see them less and less and then they're back in the world. One Puritan said this, they begin with Abraham and Moses 
and end with Demas and Lot's wife. Secondly then, what separation from the world is not? There's a proper separation which is spiritual, which is to be watchful, to guard our hearts with all diligence, to keep focus on the things that matter, our holiness, our separation from sin, our desires for heaven and our desires for holiness and fellowship. They're right and proper. And God has given those things that we must, as it were, strive after. But what is not meant by separation? Well, it does not mean giving up work. The Thessalonians, you remember, when they, they were told of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, they said, well, this is marvellous. Uh, if he's going to come soon, we, well, we'll stop working. We'll wait for him. And Paul had to say to them, no, 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 no. You carry on your Christian service. You behave and conduct yourselves as Christians of light in a world of darkness. And you anticipate the second coming of the Lord. When he comes, you do not know. But in the meantime, be faithful. If any man will not work, he should not eat, says Paul. So what can I say? Legitimate work for the Christian, whatever trade is legitimate and right, is proper and correct. Doctors, lawyers, shop assistants, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, the, the men came to uh, John the Baptist and said, uh, what shall we do? And he said to the soldiers, be content with your wages. We're told to stay in the calling wherein we're called. Being separate from the world doesn't mean that we are, as we're cut ourselves off from the world. Legitimate work is fine and acceptable. We read of Luke, the good physician. Peter, the fisherman. To give up work or business that is not sinful is wrong. It leads to laziness. Idle hands make work for the devil. Come out and being separate does not mean refusing to speak or meet unconverted people. There are some religious cults who do that. Some exclusive brethren sects refuse, uh, don't allow their people to speak to unbelieving relatives. That is not coming out and being separate. That is arrogance and pride. It is a very difficult thing to achieve and to get the right balance. Jesus and his disciples went to the marriage feast. They went to the house of Simon. They went to many people's houses for meals. They didn't isolate themselves. If they did, how would the gospel have been uh, preached to the people? Paul did not mean that Christians should take no interest in anything but religion. And there are some people like that, aren't there? They're, 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 they are, I won't say religious maniacs, and that sounds very ungracious, uh, un un but... There are some people who are, as it were, they're religious oddities. They're, they're peculiar. To neglect science, learning, art, that's not separation. To take no interest in your country or politics, its laws, rules is wrong. We can be isolationists in the wrong sense. This may simply be a neglect of our duty. Again, when Paul said, come out and be separate, he did not mean that we should shut ourselves away in monasteries. They were places of great sin. And they were places where men went, thinking they'd take 
themselves away from the world to a better place, when in fact they took their greatest evil with them themselves. We are not to be separate in matters of dress. You might say, well, what it, why is that important? We are not to dress in an eccentric way. We are to dress modestly. And I say this for this reason. Many, many years ago, when I was more affiliated with the peculiar people, the men always sat one side of the church and they wore black suits. And the women always sat on the other side of the church and one of the things they never did was cut their hair. And now that was their peculiarity. Now that's not separation, that's just peculiar. We are told to dress modestly as becometh Christians. There is no proof that Jesus or his disciples wore any different clothes than those others around them. They didn't dress in an eccentric manner. Being separate does not mean shutting ourselves away in monasteries. I've just touched on that. John says this, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. So here's the, the byword for the Christians. this, in the world, but not of the world. So let me say, sum up on this. True believers are always represented as mixing in the world, doing their Christian duty in the world, serving God in the world by patience and meekness and faithfulness and courage and purity, being lights in a dark place. That's the biblical position. The third point is this. What is true separation from the world? Those who would be separate from the world must refuse to be guided by the world's standards of right and wrong. The fact that someone says everybody does it <coughs> doesn't make it right for the Christian. We're not to go with the flow. That's today's watchword, isn't it? Everybody does go with the flow. It doesn't matter. Don't be different. Do not stand out from the crowd. When I was a little boy, moving to Campbell in 1957, the very first building I saw apart from the house I was going to live in was an old ragged school's mission. It was a John Kirk mission. It's been pulled down now. And I went there one Friday evening for the very first time as a 10-year-old. A very godly man was there. And one of the choruses we sang there, and I still remember it, was Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose true. And dare to make it known. That's the Christian position. The Christian should never think lightly of sin. Or of white lies. Or of cheating. Or of cutting corners. Gambling, having a raffle. These are normal for the unbelievers. Everybody does it. How often have we heard, everybody does it. My friend, the Christian does not do it. He's different. He's been translated from darkness into the kingdom of God's most marvellous light. Coming out from, and being separate means being careful how we spend our time. How many hours are spent by some people watching television? 
honest work, honest business or study, are right and proper. Most temptation comes to the believer when they go home. <clears throat> when they're in the comfort of their own home. When they're relaxing. Then cometh the devil. We need to be careful not to waste our evenings. Cultivate good habits. Church attendance. Christian fellowship. Bible study. Prayer. Family devotions. Private devotions. Be wary of very late nights. They result in hurried, quiet times and reduced prayer times. One Puritan said this, and I used to follow this some years ago. If you would thrive, rise at five. Imagine that. Being separate also means not being swallowed up by our business or work. Christians must always be the best employees. Diligent, not, as it were, slack, not, as it were, cutting corners. A Christian, in whatever job they are called to do, must seek to be the very best. The very best. Not simply for promotion's sake, but for God's sake. Rolls-Royce cars were said to be the best cars in the whole world. And at the Derby factory, many years ago, over the factory wall, there was the text from Proverbs, Whatsoever thy hand findest to do, do it with all thy might. Like Daniel, make time for communion with God. Shall I be personal? How were your devotions this morning? Were you in fellowship with God this morning? Were you seeking his face? Did you count it a great privilege to turn aside and seek God's face and then to thank him for the prospect of coming to the house of God? This is how we spend our time. You'll be laughed at by the world. The world has different standards. You'll be regarded as narrow, a fool, an oddity. In business, this man doesn't do that. Oh, no, no, you, you don't, don't, uh, he, he won't listen to that. He, he, he's, he's odd, he's different. He, he's a Christian. He, he, you can't uh, buy him. Again, Christian, or being separate, involves our recreations. Calvin was strongly opposed to the theatre. I wonder what he'd say of today's Christians, young Christians. Is it okay for me to go to nightclubs on the rest of it? Surely in all leisure or recreation we need wisdom to abstain from all appearance of evil. We live in a, a world now where the body is everything. And Christians may be tempted to be part of that may be obsessed with the body. We need rest. We need to come apart and rest a while. A wise and proper use of these things is, is necessary, but never to be overtaken by them. We need something that diverts our thoughts from our usual duties. 
and let's not rot as long as they don't overtake us. The last aspect of what proper separation from the world is, I believe, most important. And Paul touches on this here. Friendship and close relationships with worldly people is of great danger. Shall I tell you what J.C. Ryle says? Better to die as a Christian than to marry an unbeliever. Better to die as a Christian than marry an unbeliever. Good health is not infectious. Bad health is. Mixing with people who are not Christians, if we're not careful and prayerful, can be a great danger. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Well then, the last point, which I think is really so important. The secret of victory over the world. How can we, as believers, uh, carry out this injunction by Paul to come out and be separate. Isn't it sad, and we see this in, the, in another realm, where people can be attending a good church for many years, sit under solid, expository, biblical preaching, pastoral preaching, gospel preaching, doctrinal preaching, and yet they can leave such a place of worship and then go into a place of far inferior biblical exposition. How is it? How is that possible? Okay then, well, to be separate, to come out from among the world is not easy. The first secret of victory over the world is a right heart. If a person's not a Christian, they will never be separate from the world. It's impossible. You cannot be separate from the world without the power of God. A renewed heart, a new heart is absolutely essential. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If the heart is right, everything will be right in time. If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. The second secret is a living faith. Some of you may remember a man called Derek Prime. He was a very godly man. And he, he married my wife and I. And I remember him telling me, he said, I, as a conscript in the army, he said, I, I went into the army, he said, and the very first night, I went into the barracks. And there's men there. He said, and I had this choice. Did I get on my knees and read my Bible or do it secretly? And I said, I decided to get on my knees and read my Bible. He said, as I did, he said, within seconds, there was a hail of boots coming from different parts of the, the barracks uh, over in my direction. He said, I did the same thing the next night. There were slightly less boots until finally I could get on my knees read my scriptures and praise, and there were no boots. What's it saying? 
good habits developed stand you in good stead. Stand. And having done all, stand. And that's what the Christian has to do, isn't it? The world is decaying. We're living in a rotting world where those around us are involved in all manner of sins and lusts and passions and things which are totally contrary to the Christian ethos. We are to stand. We are to be different. Not to be odd, but to be different. We are to stand for God and for truth and for biblical truth. All things are possible to him that believes. A man of faith will not care what it seems to lose. He wants God's approval. He will have an eye to eternity. My friend, when I come to breathe my last breath, whenever that may be, it will not matter to me one iota what I have in the bank, what I may have done in my life, how successful or otherwise I may have been or not have been. My one concern is to enter into the joy of my Savior. No one can take that away. A readiness to stand up for Christ. Not to be ashamed of him before men. Whatever that involves. You may be passed over for recognition at work. You may be, as it were, sidelined because you're a Christian. To have a calm, firm resolve to stand for God in whatever situation he may have placed you. That's the way of overcoming. Habits once formed produce a settled character. In other words, the Christian is predictable. You hear of someone, someone you know for many years, and someone says, do you know someone? So I say, yes, I do. And they may say something, I say, no, 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 I can't believe that. Why not? I know the person. I'm so convinced of that person and their spiritual integrity, I will not hear that. It's hard at first, but it becomes easier. A bold confession of faith is a long step to victory. Are you overcoming? Have there temptations come to you recently? To lighten up? To take your foot off a bit? Life's too tough. God asked me to do things I find too hard to do. This is a passing world. It's soon to be finished. And then we saw to worlds unknown. The night cometh when no man can work. In a little while, there will be no more world as we know it. Worldly occupations will have gone. <clears throat> Business, pastimes, friendships, all <coughs> will be gone. Are you overcoming? Is it your daily prayer? Keep me holy. Keep me from sin. Keep me from grieving thee. Keep me, as it were, drawn nearer to the cross. The separation is the Christian's duty. It is not an optional extra. It is our duty, saved, to serve the King of Kings. Do you want to tarnish his name? 
Do you want to be the cause of people saying, if that's Christianity, I don't want it? We need to be, as it were, bold, not arrogant, resolute Christians, standing our ground, counting the loss of the world as nothing to gain the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, dear Christians, that's our duty. That's our privilege. Saved to serve. Now, I, I must close now, but I want to give you just a thought. There will be coming a day of separation. And it will be God's separation. When time will be no more. Or when death takes us. There will be a separation. And what a separation it will be. An eternal separation. It will be God's separation. The books will be opened. The dead in Christ and the dead will rise. Everyone will be summoned. The works will be looked at. And their separation will be eternal. But what a separation it will be. It will be so fearful that for those separated from the presence of God for the whole of eternity, we read, will cry for the mountains to fall upon them and will cry for the ground to swallow them up from the eye of Almighty God. Such is his holiness. And yet the great grace of God says this now. Today is a day of salvation. You can come out from the world. How is it done? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. By seeing what God says about him. By fleeing to him in all your need and helplessness. And say, God, make me separate. Take me out of this world. Make me a child of God. Make me one of thine own people. Make me to serve thee, whatever life I may have, to serve you. To be lost in wonder, love and praise. To be a child of God. To count it a privilege to be a child of God. To count it a privilege to be seen as a child of God. And to stand up in a dark world as a child of light in a world of darkness. Oh, dear brethren, what a privilege to be a Christian. Called out from darkness into his most marvellous night. Well, may we make our calling and our election sure. We are told, are we not, to work out your own salvation with fear 